I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Coming up on The Cost of Living. You know, I had um, what, a couple 18-year-olds, a couple 21-year-olds, and I walk into the room and they're sitting, sitting down on the floor, you know, with their elbows on their knees and their phone is like this. This is on a client site, you know, and I'm like, hello. Is she just complaining about kids these days, the way the olds have forever? Or is Gen Z really different? Hi, I'm Paul Havertrude. Welcome to The Cost of Living. Gen Z is the first digital generation. They were raised with the internet, social media, Zoom. So they're comfortable with technology. Other softer skills, phone calls, eye contact, handshakes, not always their jam. And that can be a problem for them and their new bosses. Also today, roses are red, will the economy be blue? Tiff's about to find out, and we are too. And while we're spitting hot lyrical fire, what rhymes with schmankruptcy? Yup, bankruptcy. It's happening a lot these days. That's later in the show. Here's a quick refresher on the state of Canada's economy heading into 2024. Things are... meh. Oddly enough, that could be a good thing. The big story last year was inflation. So much of what's happening with the economy comes back to that. Inflation is why the Bank of Canada cranked up interest rates. It wants to slow down the economy. So... Meh? It's kind of the goal. Claire Fan, an economist at RBC, says it's also what we're getting. Everything is sort of slowing in a, in a way that's largely, in a way, almost comforting. This is almost, you know, exactly sort of the story that we were expecting. The economic term for meh is actually soft landing. When inflation jumps central banks boost interest rates to slow down spending. The hope is prices stop going up, but the economy doesn't crater. It just feathers in for a gentle touchdown, a pillowy soft landing. The consensus view of most mainstream economists sees things playing out pretty much like that. We could dip into a quick, shallow recession to start the year, but then we'll take off again. Look at jobs. The unemployment rate is up, yes, but much of that increase is because our population is going up. More people moving here means more job hunters looking for work. As for inflation, 
prices have calmed down. And that means interest rates could head lower soon. The focus currently most predominantly is just all on sort of the starting point, right? Like when is it, when is it going to be, when is going to be the first one? So that's what everyone's talking about these days. But then once we move beyond that point, once we see the official sort of commence of, of sort of the easing cycle, then questions would be, you know, how fast or how slow. So the big debate among economists isn't if the bank will start cutting rates, but when. That's good news for a lot of people. Because right now, Canada is hurtling towards something being called a mortgage renewal cliff. A lot of people borrowed money when rates were at like 1%. They're now staring at mortgage rates around 6%. Nearly two thirds of all the mortgages in the country are in that situation. They're up for renewal in the next few years. So people could be pouring money into mortgages and not much else. That would crush consumer spending and create real problems for businesses and the economy. It's one reason economists think rates have to go lower this year. Some figure rate cuts will start in early spring, others think mid-year. But to borrow a phrase, how do you make God laugh? Make a plan. Carl Shimada says that goes double for the economy. He's the chief market strategist at Corpay. The idea is that we're going to see inflation come down very smoothly. We're going to see central banks cut rates in response to the decline in inflation. And at the same time, we're going to see growth and employment hold up. So does he think that story will play out as advertised? Personally, I think we're headed for something closer to a hard landing in which uh, central banks are forced to cut rates, not because they want to, but because they would like to provide support to the economy. So, you know, I, I think that the soft landing narrative is likely to turn into something closer to a hard landing as we progress uh, through 2024. So what would a hard landing look like? Well, it would mean all those rate hikes chilled the economy too much that consumers are about to stop spending. In a hard landing scenario, we get a nasty recession. Businesses close. Jobs are lost. When Carl considers the last few years, he says the pandemic was this unprecedented shock. It's still reverberating. And he doesn't think the economy can just skate away unscathed. That big surge in spending that happened after the pandemic and, and, you know, sort of baffled a lot of observers, that's on its last legs at this point. Businesses have been telling us for months that they're pulling back on investment. That is leading to a uh, emerging softness on, on the employment side and in the investment level across the economy. All of that means that, uh, that the level of, of growth is likely to slow. And that is, you know, going to be something that central bank bankers are going to view with a degree of alarm, right? They're going to, to try to prevent that. They're going to worry that they've over-tightened uh, in terms of raising rates too quickly. I don't know that they're going to try to pull back all the way to pre-pandemic levels, given the fact that inflation risks still exist. But, uh, you know, I, I think that that response is going to be pretty large and pretty wholesale across central banks, across the major economies. If interest rates have to come down because economies are tanking, that is not a soft landing. When Carl looks at 2024, 
He thinks the big economic story won't be whether we get a recession or a hard or soft landing. He thinks it will be the complexity of what's happening. Now, the economy is complex by definition, so that's always true. But this year, it could be extra true. All these like really simple stories that we've been telling about how the economy might turn out, they're, they're not reflecting reality very well, right? Like we might be talking about a recession in some areas of the economy, of the global economy, of the Canadian economy. We might be talking about employment congi- conditions shifting in a variety of ways. We might be talking about what's happening in financial markets. Um, all of those things, uh, you know, when, when we combine them are not going to add up to like this really simple black and white narrative of where the economy is going. So different parts of the economy are behaving in very different and unpredictable ways, and they're not correlating with each other. The relationships that they used to work to explain what was going to happen next are not working right now. All of those things mean that, uh, you know, it's much, much harder to navigate, and it's certainly much, much harder to navigate based on very simple headlines. But if you're, I don't know, on a radio show, talking about the economy, simple headlines are your friend. So why can't we have black and white narratives? You know, we, we can, you know, for example, see a shift in in the housing market that does not get reflected in employment markets. We could see a, a shift in consumer spending that does not get reflected in overall economic growth. It's almost a useless question at this point, right, to, to ask whether we're going to see a recession. The reality is certain parts of the economy uh, in Canada and globally have experienced very, very recession-like circumstances, while other parts have boomed. Carl isn't confident making predictions for what could happen this year. But what he will say is, buckle up. There are storm clouds on the horizon. Frankly, the, the storm clouds are, are upon us already. Uh, the Canadian economy is in near recessionary conditions right now. But markets and, you know, I think many economic observers are betting on a return to low volatility, low interest rates, um, and, you know, a sort of reset in, in everything. And the reality is that uh, we're still in that post-pandemic period. We're still going to see lots and lots of uncertainty and turbulence. Will we get a soft landing? A harder crash? Seatbacks and trade tables are in their upright position. And one way or the other, we're about to touch down. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. One part of the economy that's already getting a rougher ride, 
small businesses. Like, have you gone somewhere lately that you haven't been in a while, looked over and said, oh, hey, that place closed? Ah, shoot. Small business bankruptcies are up. And as our producer Ellis Cho finds, a little more salt for the wounds is coming. Hello, everybody. Britt here. I wanted to share with you the five top reasons for you to book a lash lift in tint. So reason number one. For the past eight years, Brittany Magna has been giving people longer, thicker eyelashes. She's the owner of Bougie Beauty Boutique in Guelph. Like my favorite part of all of it was seeing my, my salon full and people feeling as beautiful as they possibly could. They actually feel like a movie star and you kind of just send them on their way. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Business was great. She had more than 10 people on staff and several thousand clients. Then the pandemic hit. She took all the federal financial supports that she could, including the SIBA loan. But it wasn't enough. In 2021, she had to shut down the business. She tried again, only to have to close her doors last month. It's been hell. (laughs) It's been absolute hell trying to navigate through these, like, just rough waters. We're worn out. (laughs) And out of money. Business insolvencies jumped last year by nearly 40% over the year before. Um, So it is a fairly staggering number. Jeff Brown is with Equifax Canada, a consumer credit reporting agency. He says we're playing catch-up. These are businesses that hung on through the pandemic, but just didn't make it. Um, so why we're seeing that number now is we're seeing some, some of the backlog that is now freeing out from the pandemic. Um, and with this as well, those, the debt levels are rising. It's the growing debt that he's worried about. More businesses are behind on their payments and putting debt on credit. We've actually seen the debt level on credit cards jump about 10.8% here over the past year, which is, is quite staggering. And it it's kind of tells a bit of the story about what's happening in the economy right now with interest rates and inflation. Then there's the federal SIBA loan. Hundreds of thousands of businesses have yet to pay it back. And the deadline is this month having that interest due on this large pandemic loan, um, it's going to put a lot of small businesses in a very difficult position in the first half of of 2024. Now, businesses do come and go. It's just part of the natural economic cycle, according to Charles St. Arnaud. He's chief economist at Alberta Central, an association of credit unions. Unfortunately, that's the way our our economic system works. You weed out the weaker uh, businesses so that the stronger one can continue and perform longer. But he's keeping an eye on this big spike in bankruptcies and worries that it could have ripple effects beyond businesses, especially with the economy slowing down. If we start to see, at large, higher bankruptcies, financial institutions will be taking a hit. And their reaction will be to protect their balance sheet, to reduce their losses. So that might lead to um, what we call a credit crunch. And that means banks would be less willing to lend money to anyone. And that will put more strain on the economy and kind of reducing the potential for, for growth. Brittany Magna has no interest in opening, let alone growing another business. She now works for herself 
by herself. Like, there's no way that I would ever risk putting all of my savings and hard work into another commercial unit, knowing that there's a possibility it could close within a year. There's no way. For the cost of living, I'm Ellis Cho. This is The Cost of Living. I'm Paul Habershoot. Our producer, Jennifer Keene, is here now. And Jen, uh, why, why are you looking at me like that? I'm making eye contact, Paul. How's your, how's your week going? Big plans this weekend? Now I'm making small talk. Why are you making this so weird? <laughs> I'm showing off my soft skills. Okay, good. So you have a point. Yes, soft skills. These are the kind of skills that you don't train for. You're just supposed to have when you're on the job the ability to interact with others, show up on time, that kind of thing. And I, I the reason I'm doing this is I don't know if you've heard about this, but Jodie Foster gave an interview recently where she dunked on the soft skills of Gen Zs. Yeah, she called them annoying. Yeah, she did. She said they roll into work at 1030. They don't care about their spelling mistakes. If I'm Gen Z, I'm like, hey, that's a pretty big generalization. And you know what? Back off, Nell. (laughs) Nell? You think they know the movie Nell, Paul? (laughs) What was that, 1992? Okay, fair, fair. But, you know. she Listen, in her defense, she is not the first person to say this. There have been a number of surveys that show Gen Zs have a, let's be generous here, and say a different way of doing things. They want more flexibility in their workplace, and they don't always behave the way older employers expect. Well, what don't they do? Well, I talked to Matthew McKean about this. He's with the Business and Higher Education Roundtable. It's a group that tries to bridge the worlds of post-secondary and industry. He spends a lot of time talking to Canadian companies, and the need for soft skills, it comes up a lot. They're at the top of the list, uh, interpersonal skills, uh, for sure. But they've been coming up. When we ask employers what are the skills that entry-level hires need the most, it's not Uh, the technical skills. Uh, It's those human skills, those social and emotional skills that that at least Canada's biggest employers find lacking in in new hires. So is this all new hires or just Gen Z? They're talking about recent graduates. And their last survey of companies was in 2022. At that time, less than a third of them said that recent grads have better interpersonal skills today than they did five years ago. Linda Chu sees this all the time. She hires a lot of young people for her company in Vancouver. It's called Out of Chaos. They declutter and help people move. And she says her youngest employees don't always come with what you might call basic life skills. You know, you're talking communication skills. Uh, You're talking about the ability to do teamwork, um, to work well within a team. Um, These what you call interpersonal skills, uh, the eyeball to eyeball, just can't conversing. She has about 10 people on staff. And on the plus side, her youngest employees are great at using technology. I don't want to offend anyone. (laughs) 
Um, but on the downside. They're also, like I walk into a room, for example, you know, I had um, what, a couple 18-year-olds and there were like a couple 21-year-olds. And I walk into the room and everybody's head, like like they're sitting, sitting down on the floor, you know, with their knees, their elbows on their knees and their phone is like this. This is on a client site, you know. <laughs> And I'm like, hello. So they're on the job. Their boss walks in. And, you know, and the response is, oh, we finished that task. All right. Um, excuse me. Lesson number one, I said. <laughs> Listen to Auntie. <laughs> um, if you don't keep busy and if you don't find something to do and if you don't ask for something to do to keep yourself busy, I will find you the worst job. I think I'd listen to Auntie Linda. <laughs> you do not want the worst job. No, definitely not. But, but Jen, this is kind of an old story, right? Like every generation says the youth, they don't know about hard work. Just just look at those beatniks with their hats and their, and their beards and Gen X are slackers, those entitled millennials. Yeah, I... It's true. I mean, it's hard to talk about this without sounding cliched, but there is quite a bit of research, including from the World Economic Forum, that says people who were born between the late 90s and today are just a bit different. They're the first generation to grow up with a smartphone in their hand. They're often more comfortable communicating over a screen. And they missed out on in-person experiences at a pretty formative time, right, during the pandemic. And if you talk to Gen Zs themselves, they will tell you that this all had an impact on them, like Finn White, who we met waiting for a class at Mount Royal University in Calgary. COVID kind of stunted your um, people skills, yeah. almost because like you were talking almost exclusively online, like to a and yeah. through a screen or to a screen and like um, Google Meets, like everyone had their cameras off and stuff like that. And I don't really like turning my camera on, but you know, I do it anyways. So she doesn't even really like being face-to-face -face through a screen. Yeah. I mean, have you ever tried cold calling a 21-year-old? Good, good luck with that. People like Sam Vrooman are just more comfortable with texting and instant messaging. Like going into the office and trying to like talk on the phone and I'm like stuttering through it and like not knowing what to say and embarrassing myself and I actually accidentally hung up on people like... It's a very hard thing to adapt to when once you get into, like, your office setting. I mean, she's 20. What does she know from a landline? The web company Kahoot last year surveyed more than 1,000 Gen Zs in the U.S., and 9 out of 10 of them said that they suffer from social anxiety on the job, and more than 40% of them said they'd like more training in soft skills. Well, can they get it? Well, yeah, some some big companies like Deloitte, KPMG, they offer courses in soft skills. And this, again, this is a, a big umbrella term. It could be everything from leadership skills to things like phone etiquette. So these companies are saying, hey, there's gaps here and we're going to have to step in and fill those gaps. They figure they need to. Like Matt McKean says, employers have always just assumed that people learn soft skills through osmosis. But I think that's been maybe not working historically because the employers are saying we don't see them in the grads that 
that we're hiring. They want those skills. They want people who can write and communicate, um, who, ha- who are courageous, who can be resilient when work doesn't go quite ho- how you'd hope, but they're not finding them in, in, in new grads and entry-level hires. And we're also not finding them even in mid-career workers. So the part of the rub here is that they're really hard to teach. There isn't a three-module course you can take to be more resilient. You know, that does come from experience. Yeah, but experience really seems to be the rub, doesn't it, Jen? Like, you know, your first job is always scary. It's sink or swim. And then eventually you spend time there and most people figure out how to swim. You learn this stuff by doing it. And only about half of all Canadian teenagers had part-time jobs in 2022. So they are really learning these things in their first real job as an adult. So is that it, Jen, just kind of this lack of of real-life work experience? Or is there more to this generation, Gen Z, lacking these kinds of soft skills? I think that's the million-dollar question. Is it because of the pandemic? Is it because of screens? And the upshot here then seems to be that Gen Z is not great at shaking hands or looking someone in the eye. Okay, fine. But does it really matter all that much if they have these kinds of soft skills? I think we're going to find out. Because we are about to see a wave of Gen Zs enter the workforce. Nearly 30% of all employees are going to be Gen Z by 2025. So here's why Matthew McKean says it matters. It will be extremely costly to companies, small, medium, and large, if they have to uh, be training everybody uh, at at those really basic levels on interpersonal skills or what to wear. Um, it's probably not fully sustainable. Um, that's that's going to be that's going to weigh on companies. That's going to slow us down, I think, as a, our companies and our in our country. So then what's the answer to this? I don't think there's one single answer. Matthew's group is working with the federal government to make sure that post-secondary students do get some work experience before they graduate, whether that's a practicum or a co-op, just to help bridge the gap between life in university and and school to to life on the job. And then you got to figure kids, they are resilient. They're going to figure it out when they have to. That's right. They'll become the next generation complaining about kids today. They will figure it out. More of them in the workforce, too, means that, that work will have to adapt to them. Yeah. And, and for now, you know, if you are starting out and you're young and you have great interpersonal skills, you can look someone in the eye, make a phone call, shake hands. You got to figure this is kind of a competitive advantage for you. Yeah. You're going to crush it out there. Thanks, Jen. You're welcome. On next week's show, if you make $75,000 a year, that should be enough money to be happy. That's the conventional wisdom. But what happens if you become rich? Are you any happier? Happiness momentarily went up. Of course, you're happy. You're going, woohoo, right? Kind of payday, right? And then... You buy a few things, and, uh, and then eventually that goes away, right? Some more money doesn't necessarily move the old happiness meter. But new economic research also suggests it doesn't hurt. Next week, we tackle an old question. Can money buy happiness? The Cost of Living is based in Calgary. The show is produced by Daniel Nerman, Ellis Cho, and Jennifer Keene, with help from Caroline Ferris. Special thanks this week go to CBC Calgary's Natalie Velo. Our executive producer is Tracy Johnson. I'm Paul Habershrude. 
Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.